On this program series, the Bridge Radio will be focusing on the externalization of EU borders policies. We will be discussing its implications and the effect and everyday consequences for refugees and migrants. Our aim on this series will be bringing out the voices of refugees and migrants that has been silenced, oppressed and traumatized around Europe and beyond it. The voices of activists who resist the oppression of anti-migration both inside and outside the borders of Europe as well as scholars who carry out research in the field. Today, we live in a society where those rendered refugees and migrants by warfare, economic warfare and climate change are exploited, criminalized, stigmatized and live in a fear of detention and forced deportation. The externalization of EU border measures are happening around us fast and rapidly in a way that the EU citizens almost don't realize the implications of this bilateral trade and aid agreements between the EU states and third countries. This international relationship, bilateral trade and aid agreements, requires neighboring or third countries to secure the EU borders outside the EU states. This international relationship, bilateral trade and aid agreements, requires neighboring or third countries to secure the EU borders outside the EU states. And this dramatically has increased the dangers for refugees and migrants' deaths on the Mediterranean Sea and across the deserts of North Africa. As researcher Mark Ackerman writes in Expanding the Fortress, this involves agreements with European neighboring countries to accept deported persons and to adopt the same policies of border control, improve trafficking of people and fortified borders as Europe. In other words, these agreements have turned Europe's neighbors into Europe's new border guards. And because they are so far from Europe's shores and media, the impacts are almost completely invisible to EU citizens. He further explains how in this militarization process, the arm and security industry has helped shape Europe's border security policies and have reaped the rewards for ever more border security measures and contracts. In this new liberalization of borders and expansion of the border zones, it is the European military and security industry that have derived the most benefits of delivering much of the equipment and services for border security. On this program, we want to ask questions such as who profit from these policies of externalization of EU borders? How does it affect who is deportable and where? How does it affect zones of bordering? How do we resist these policies and which struggles are already taking place? How can we understand it as a continuation of colonial regimes? On this series, we will try to unfold these often hidden policies that is attached to this agreement and raise the voices of those affected. On this program series, we will try to decolonize and educate ourselves, activist groups and civil society. We want to understand how this system works. We will try to raise alternative solutions on this border regime. For the freedom of movement and for the freedom to stay. The Bridge Radio.
You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. Hello, we're back again here today. This is the Bridge Radio, and we have a lot in stock for you today. Um, as you heard, we will be introducing today um, the difficult conversation about externalization of border, and uh, I'm going to be one of your hosts. I am Steve, and uh, my co-host... Uh, I'm Nana. And today you will be hearing an interview. You will be hearing some different interviews. The first is with uh, Associate Professor Martin Limberg Pedersen, who's an uh, Associate Professor at Aalborg University in Copenhagen, uh, and who's, who's researched into the externalization of EU borders. And also you'll be hearing an interview with uh, Ibrahim Diallo, who's an activist and... Um, critical journalist in uh, Agadez in Niger. And this will be accompanied by Ali, who will also help us uh, with translating Ali, Ali from Lampedusa, Hamburg. Yeah, uh, Mohamed Diallo is also the editor of um, um, uh, uh, the magazine that's called Air Info and, and uh, the radio station called Sahara FM. And also the director now of alarm phone in Nigel. so we'll be having these few discussions about border externalization so we got a lot in stock for you coming on to this program but before we do that we keep on and just for those who don't know the bridge radio is a, a radio collective that was established in copenhagen around three years ago and we are a group of migrants and non-migrants who are devoted to create radio uh, around border migrant struggles and freedom of movements and also raising the voices of those who do not have opportunities to be able to speak so before we go on with the program we will play a song for you by Sudanese Archives that's called Come My Way and Sudanese Archives is a violinist and vocalist who writes, plays and produces her own music drawing inspiration from the Sudanese violin and she grew up in Ohio I can't jump high but I hear all the notes I can't be you now I can't be you but I can be true I want to be friends 
Sudanese archives and um, we're back in the studio you're listening to the bridge radio and now we'll be actually moving on straight to the uh, interview with Martin Lindbeck and just once again to introduce him uh, he's an uh, associate professor assistant professor at Oberg University and in Copenhagen at uh, the global refugee studies he has also been researching into the externalization of EU borders and migration management. So we asked him about his research and his studies of pre, uh, post-colonial relations and who profits from the, these policies. So the voice you're going to be hearing now is the interview we did, the Bridge Radio did with um, Martin Limberg. My name is Martin Lemberg-Peterson. I am an assistant professor in global refugee studies at Aalborg University in Denmark. Yeah. Um, so who we're speaking to is uh, Martin Lindberg, and he's a, a researcher and uh, an educator in the University of Copenhagen, and once also in Aalborg. And our first question to you is going to be, the our program today is depending on um, the externalization of EU borders. And you also have been the one of the persons in Denmark who has been doing this research and also writing very much about it. Please, can you explain to, the, um, to our listeners what is externalization of EU borders? Can you brief a bit? So very briefly, externalization of migration control mm -hmm. is the process when a country or a group of countries export the uh, territorial boundaries and, and borders beyond their own territory. Mm. So that can take place within Europe. So we're seeing, uh, we're seeing uh, very much North uh, Western European countries externalizing their control to countries like Greece and Italy. Mm -hmm. But it can also happen beyond Europe, uh, as the case with uh, Gaddafi's Libya or Morocco illustrates. Yeah. 
So, but how how does these policies, as we've seen it implied in the last few years, how do you see them today constituting themselves? Well, they do so in many different ways. So externalization is really a, a quite elastic uh, concept because it, it encompasses uh, a range of different activities. Uh, notably, and very crucially, externalization of migration control may both take the form of you know, hardcore border control, mm -hmm. but it may also take the form of uh, ex externalization of responsibility, so asylum mm -hmm. policies. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, externalization can mean both refugee camps, and this is indeed a, a, a very well-established Western uh, practice of, of funding and, and operating with permission of local governments, major camps in Kenya and Tanzania and so on. Uh, but it may also mean uh, readmission agreements in the form of deportations to certain mm -hmm. countries, or it may mean, uh, for instance, Frontex operations mm -hmm. um, in West African waters in 2005 and six. So when you're asking what's the state of affairs of externalization right now, today, yeah. the, the, very brief the very brief answer is, well, it's pervasive. It's basically the way in which the, the global and, um, and Western-dominated refugee and displacement management, that's the way it works. Hmm. So I also wanted to ask, like, how and how does the, um, like, development and uh, development aid uh, and also trade agreements play into this, uh, this politics of externalization of EU borders? So that's a very good question, Anna, because it's really crucial. It's a crucial component. Mm. Um, there's several ways to understand this. One is to talk about issue linkages. Yeah. So uh, that would be the way in which, for instance, uh, a group of European countries wanting to deport unaccompanied minors to yeah. Afghanistan, the way in which they hold as hostage Hmm. development uh, aid to a range of Afghan ministers like the Ministry of Refugees and Repatriation. Yeah. Uh, in the case of Afghanistan, this is an extremely fragile, some would even say failed states, and it is the recipient of a lot of development aids, and hmm. so, so is uh, the different ministries. So when European countries go in and demand something in the line of readmission agreements or other forms of border or asylum management in, in order not to cut funding, that is a way in which to you know, condition these countries to, to, to follow the European priorities. And we're seeing this across the board, uh, also in Africa, also in the East. Yeah. But um, we're seeing it ever more. I, I'd like to point that out. This, this issue linkage is, is, is happening ever more, and it is increasingly explicitly justified by, by Western politicians as the name of the game. Mm. I would say that earlier it happened as well, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as clearly stated as it is today. I was trying to explain, please, uh, with these things you have mentioned now, can you please a little bit explain the current situations of the EU border agreement with countries such as like Turkey, Libya, Egypt, Sudan, and Niger, which, of course, you also have made a research which we saw uh, about Niger. Can you maybe explain a bit of the uh, consequences or implications for those for those who are impacted, such as like the refugees and migrants who are displaced? Right. Uh, I 
I'd just like to point out that I, I haven't specifically done research on Niger, if that is what uh, mm. what I heard you were saying. Yeah. Uh, I've done it sort of secondarily uh, in the way in which that the EU's migration management through uh, Libya is being linked up, pushed further down mm. to countries like Niger and, and, and Chad. Yeah. Uh, but also the question is uh, is a very complex one because it's it's many different countries and different contexts that you're asking about. Mm. But um, to start out with with Turkey, obviously there is uh, there has been I've I've uh, done some work on how the Turkish migration control has been actually reconfigured and aligned increasingly with certain EU priorities, basically through the last. 10, 15 years, yeah. uh, and uh, it, it, that has happened through the externalization of funds, through various EU funding mechanisms. It has also happened through a range of contracts mm. where European arms industry uh, landed contracts for submarines, for land border gates, for satellites, uh, for... Um, for different kind of control towers, infrared technology, and so on. Yeah. A range of issues, which is the standard issues that that basically the border control industry is supplying different countries with. I'm just saying we saw we saw an increasing an intensification of exports to Turkey, mm-hmm. and we also saw a range of what is called twinning projects and the integrated border management between the EU and Turkey. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Uh, in um, 2016 with the deal between the EU and Turkey was in some ways, of course, rather surprising, but in other ways it was uh, pretty much in line with the development we've been seeing for, for a decade plus. Mm. And the deal now is, I would actually say that it's not one deal, it's several deals, yeah. uh, several agreements. So. One is obviously to, you know, take back uh, uh, people intercepted in sea or deported from Greece. Now, that part of the agreement is actually not working very well. Only very few people have been returned from Greece to Turkey, Mm. and only a very few more has been returned from Turkey to Europe. Mm. There's another agreement which has to do with the export of military equipment and the support for the 911 kilometers long wall Mm. between Turkey and Syria. It's on the other side of Kobane, and it's basically a Berlin Wall 2.0. There's a a dead zone, a no man's land in front of it, which is cleared for all life. They have different kind of technologies peering into... Uh, Syria in order to detect movement and the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights have uh, documented uh, 42 cases of refugees having been shot at the Turkish border so it's a very militarized zone Hmm. and it's it's an aspect of the agreement and the collaboration that the European politicians don't speak so much about Hmm. so just Quickly, that's the Turkish context. The, the, the Libyan context is, is very different. Uh, you'll hear European politicians arguing that uh, now we fix Turkey yeah. and we'll export this model to Libya. I think that is that is ludicrous, that science fiction. Uh, Libya is a completely different context. Yeah. Uh, what is happening in Turkey is, you know, also the legitimation of a very totalitarian regime, which is 
definitely repressing both population and media. In Libya, you have a very fragmented situation with several sort of bases of power. You have uh, one government which is recognized by the UN and the EU, which is the government of national accord. Yeah. But then you have the House of Representatives, which is linked with the Tobruk-based government and the Libyan National Army, which uh, actually holds more territory than the DNA mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and is in open conflict with it. So uh, when the EU goes in and speaks about making deals with the Libyan Coast Guard and Libyan authorities, yeah. it's very important to realize that they're actually meddling in a, a very complex domestic situation uh, where, you know, Al-Faraj then is, is sort of prompted up as a statement and traveling to Rome Mm-hmm. But it's at the expense of this other government, which um, which does not agree with all of these priorities necessarily. So that's a very different context than than Turkey. But it's it's uh, it certainly is a very difficult one. You'll see all of these power bases very much linked with different smuggling networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not really given that the money transferred uh, is also not money that actually goes into the pockets of, of those facilitating uh, boat migration. Uh, it's very violent. There's a lot of weapons in Libya. Uh, it's not... Recently, Macron has pushed for uh, an election in 2018. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a number of commentators who are fearful that uh, this is sort of a mirage of democracy being pushed down upon a context that cannot actually hold it, uh, that such an election is premature. It may risk actually further uh, conflict. In the uh, country. And, yes, and, and that the reason why Macron is pushing this is that the EU since 15 have pursued a unity government in Libya because they need it in order to be invited to make border control externalization. As it is now, there is no mm. one party the EU can make deals with the mm. way they could with Gaddafi. So that's another reason why they may talk up the Libyan authorities to an extent that actually doesn't reflect reality. Mm. So to <clears throat> to also like uh, yeah follow up on this. So what is the um, implications of these agreements for displaced persons such as migrants and refugees in these different contexts? I talk so much, I only managed to cover two contexts, of course. But, <laughs> yeah, of course, it's but, also uh, difficult it, yeah, to say more, maybe. It, it's, a, it's a difficult question, but uh, the, the, the implications are, again, different. Different in Turkey, different in Libya, but if, if there's a common ground, it is precariousness. Yeah. Uh, it is that they're extremely vulnerable. Turkey and Libya have different labor systems, let's say, but what we're seeing in, in, in Turkey is Um, an abject exploitation of uh, hundreds of thousands of people who are circulated around, and some call it dormitory labor regimes. This is basically uh, it's a form of modern slavery where you're simply just circulated around from workground to workground, be it agriculture, be it uh, service, be it construction, mm-hmm. and and with with very little wage, very little protection. Uh, a lot of exploitation uh, when it comes to uh, women and even small girls. Uh, I'm hearing very disturbing uh, accounts of systematized prostitution. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's also a range of camps which are basically invisible in the southern part of Turkey mm. because they're not recognized by the government. Uh, they were uh, supposed to be temporary, uh, but are very far from it now. And you have people living under absolutely uh, squalid conditions. And what is terrible is also that the international NGOs uh, are afraid of of pointing these problems out, because if they do so, they will lose the license they fear to operate in the country under the EU-Turkey agreement. So mm. in that sense, you have the agreement actually facilitating the continuing existence of this invisibility. Mm. Um, when it comes to Libya, it has a history of, uh, of attracting labor migration from a range of countries, Western uh, Africa, uh, Sahel, uh, Sub-Saharan, and so on. This was a policy pursued by uh, Gaddafi, uh, also when Libya was the head of the African Union, and it's still going on. And that's actually uh, pretty much also a testament to the desperate conditions people face in their home countries, that even despite all of the turmoil and, and, and challenges and, and, and fatalities in Libya, people are still willing to, to chance it all uh, to seek some, some sort of labor there. Mm. There's... Um, there's a European narrative that everyone who arrives in Libya is en route to Europe, but that's, mm. that's obviously not the case. Uh, uh, as I said, Libya is also attracting in its own right uh, a lot of labor. But uh, what we're seeing is in this fragmented uh, power situation is that uh, they're also basically being traded as, as modern, modern forms of slaves. We, we all heard, I think, of this uh, CNN program in the end of last year. Yeah. But this was really far from new. Uh, I remember in 2011 when the IOM was evacuating uh, in, in, in context of the so-called Arab Spring, uh, they also discovered massive slave trade at uh, that time of West Africans to somewhat the same prices. Uh, and these people are being you know, trafficked around to the very, very uh, uh, failing fishing industry. Uh, oil platforms, uh, agriculture, and so on. So they're living under very dangerous circumstances too. And of course, um, many researchers have pointed out that uh, women and children are extremely vulnerable in this uh, system and, and are indeed being uh, also sexually abused to a very alarming degree. Mm. Um, so so that, that would be the case in these, in these two countries. So the voice you were just hearing was uh, the interview with Martin Limbeck and um, now we just need to bring the uh, listeners a bit of a break and the song you're hearing now it's by Margaret and it says break down the walls so we try every day to decolonize ourselves to educate ourselves in order to also break down the walls that we've been taught so the song comes up and after that we are going to be playing the rest of the um, interview by martin lingo
So that was the song I was talking about, Break Down the Walls, and we always have to try to break down these walls for our own good in order to be able to grow. And now we'll be coming back to the interview with Martin Limbeck because of the time shadow we have. So we'll be wanting our listeners to hear the rest of the interview before we run out of time. So, but yeah, you mentioned earlier that uh, it, many of these countries which these deals are being agreed with are mainly authoritarian regimes, such as uh, the one we we see in Gadda in uh, Libya during the time of Gaddafi and circulating the migrant markets within the country itself, such as like Turkey is doing today. Uh, what do you think? It's not for us. It's not a new phenomenon that this kind of rotation of migrants are still within the country. And after the 2011 Libya war, how do you see this escalate or has escalated the refugee situation or kind of limbo that they are in in the last few yeah. years? That, that's a good question because uh, by all accounts, uh, it, it, is, it seems to have worsened. Um, in one way, the, the regime of Gaddafi was extremely brutal, of course, and there was a lot of the kind of uncertainty and what you can call fragmented sovereignty in a sense, mm -hmm. because you, you'd hear accounts from, from migrants who weren't really sure what kind of detention camp they were in. Was mm. it smugglers? Was it police? Was it army? Mm. No one knew because everyone was wearing uniforms, was robbing and exploiting them, and was trading them with others. Mm. And in that sense, that's the same situation now. What is different is, of course, that there is no sort of uh, upper desktop sort of binding, binding this system together. And so uh, it becomes even more arbitrary. Uh, and so it, allegedly what I hear from, from people that are in the country and working on it also is, is that it's even more dangerous uh, for people now uh, there. Also, of course, there's a post-colonial dimension to it. Uh, you know, Libya being a former uh, colony uh, of Italy, a very brutal military campaign uh, was uh, was the Italian way there. Uh, I think so. I don't know if that's crucial. Actually, I was going into postcoloniality, but yeah. uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe you you got enough. No, I think it's uh, uh, it's it's very important that it was also one of the questions because we think that these policies of externalization that are carried out out by EU are a continuation of colonial uh, legacies. Um, right. So we also um, saw you mentioning this in your work, and so we wanted to ask you to explain how these policies work into post-colonial relations. Right. Uh, so, uh, in, in many ways, and of course there's uh, important work to be done in terms of really figuring out the relation between uh, colonialism, race, and labor, mm. and the way they intersect in power. So these are complex issues, but, mm. but you, we can sketch some things. So mm. Obviously, there's a post-colonial relations between former colonizers and former colonies. Mm. And, uh, you know, given the history of the scramble for Africa, uh, you know, that is the case for pretty much all countries. And you can see today that a country like France has its hands uh, extremely deep into the, a lot of the different policies, not just migration, of course, yeah. when it comes to the Sahel region. 
Morocco, uh, also very uh, close historical ties. You have Italy, Libya uh, as well. Uh, you have some German influence also in the Horn of Africa, where you also have British influence in Egypt, and so on and so on. Mm. Uh, so that's sort of just a descriptive on the on the on the country uh, level. Then there are also certain other dynamics. So when you look at uh, the very pervasive racism that you see in Libya towards uh, black people, mm. uh, that is at least partly explained by the fact that during the colonial warfare, which was extremely brutal, Italy uh, deployed troops from what was then uh, labeled Epicynthia, which was basically Ethiopia and Eritrea, and, and basically used them to really brutally repress the, uh, the Libyan population. Mm. So there's a lot of um, animosity generated from that encounter, and, and that, of course, is not uh, a purely uh, Italian practice. You have the same happening with the Britain deploying colonial troops from all over the place mm. in other places as well. Mm. So these dynamics, I think, are partly... I mean, we need to look at them too when we have to understand the racialized hierarchies that we see in also in migration management. And I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, when you look at many of the boats in the Mediterranean, it is people from South Sahara uh, or sub Sahara which are placed in the lowest rungs of the bo- uh, of the boats mm. uh, down in the storage facilities, whereas more uh, affluent people from Middle Eastern countries are placed on top. That also intersects in older slave trade. So Europeans are talking a lot about the transatlantic slave trade, obviously, uh, for very important reasons, but there were also other slave trades. There was the Ottoman slave trade and the Arab slave trade, Mm. which was in Eastern Africa. And I think a very important continuity, which we haven't really discussed so much in Europe, is the way in which current uh, border control towards boat migration has a very clear sort of uh, trajectory from the British Navy's suppression of the slave trade, Mm. um, Mm. which uh, was actually part of a British larger sort of global uh, endeavor to to cover uh, with its Navy Navy, the different kinds of of waters, right? But it intersected with uh, the very same discourses we're seeing today, scrupulous African smugglers uh, and the humanitarian argument used to intercept boats, uh, mm-hmm. although not allowing them to Europe, but mm-hmm. uh, dumping them in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and so on and so on. Mm. Uh, obviously, a lot of camps, uh, the, the, the refugee camp uh, is birthed out of a, a colonial warfare mm. uh, you can see, for instance, in South Africa, mm. uh, where the Brits were fighting the Boers. This was a, a, um, a, a white settler uh, minority, very wealthy, uh, from especially Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, so on, Northern Europe. But they, they, uh, they engaged in a warfare at the, at the dawn of the 20th century, mm-hmm. and the British basically imposed uh, what they called actually both called refugee camps and concentration camps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Used to the same, describe the same camps. Mm-hmm. And the logic was also portrayed as humanitarian, mm-hmm. but it was of course one that didn't disturb the underlying uh, aims of the British Empire, which was 
scorched earth tactics and warfare against the civilians uh, uh, which was uh, supporting the Boer uh, guerrillas. Yeah. So, so a lot of you know camps, mm. tension, deportation, the humanitarian ethos on, on intercepting boat migration, discourses on smugglers and so on. You see a lot of the same things. That's not to say it's a one-to-one fit between then and now. Yeah. It's probably more the case of certain mutated logics but I think there's mm. an underlying rationality which mm. basically perceives the migration of certain others as as the real problem, as as actually as a violent act that disrupts the, the order imposed, rather than, of course, the multiple events which dispossess and displace people. That mm. is seen as part of a, a normal, even peaceful order uh, whereas the migration of people and, and the irregular presence is is portrayed as the the true act of violence. Hmm. One more question, uh, maybe last question before you go. Um, we have been reading some of the things you you wrote, and uh, most specifically, you mentioned or listed some few companies who benefit from this agreement uh, and the increase of uh, securitization and militarization in these areas. Can you explain a little bit? Because, uh, like, for instance, you gave about the Danish company uh, G-Forest, or you have even mentioned today Frontex. Can you explain a little bit about the profits in these fields? Uh, yes, uh, just to point out uh, quickly, Frontex is the EU's border control agency, mm. so it's not a company, mm. although it has very close relations with a lot of the uh, weapons companies uh, because of its need for equipment and because of a recent uh, amendment of its mandate, which allows it to be an end user, direct purchaser of this equipment. Yeah. That's that's a different story. Um, yeah, G4S... Uh, well, is actually based, it's UK-based now, is is one of the world's largest security companies. It's true, yeah. it has a, a sort of a partly Danish origin as well, mm-hmm. uh, as does uh, Accenture, which is a biometrics and credit and consultancy firm, also formerly Arthur Andersen, it mm-hmm. was called, uh, which is also now globally involved in selling biometric equipment for measuring and surveilling refugees to, among others, the UNHCR. Uh, but if you look at the, the the wider picture, then you see that the arms uh, industry, after uh, running into dead waters after the end of the Cold War, has perceived that uh, border control is a is an emerging market. It's a very profitable market. Yeah. In that sense, you can say that it sort of it feeds off and reinforces the industry of the smuggling. Uh, the two are each other's best friends in the sense that yeah. they keep on reinforcing the need for one another. Mm. And so you're seeing basically externalization functioning also as a very profitable export market for mm. the European and Western arms industry. Mm. And there's many examples of this. I've written some on um, uh, Film Mechanica, now it's called Leonardo, and all of their exports to, mm. uh, to Libya, but, but also French and British companies who are exporting to Libya. Mm-hmm. There's a number of uh, Spanish contracts with Morocco, uh, France to Algeria and Tunisia, um, 
in Turkey, as I mentioned uh, earlier, there's a lot of, um, for instance, Thales, which is a French company. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I think if you look at the last uh, years, uh, Saudi Arabia has been the largest recipient of European arms licenses yeah. uh, to the tune uh, of 25 billion mm-hmm. uh, over a period of seven, eight years. And... Uh, you see that Airbus is uh, is actually that's mm. a German conglomerate mm. is is the main uh, recipient of these contracts, mm-hmm. and the way it works is then that uh, Airbus subcontracts aspects of this border control mm. to other companies, and so you have a ripple effect. But um, but basically, Airbus, if we take the case of Saudi Arabia, has been involved in in this massive uh, new uh, border system, Saudi border system where all borders have been reinforced uh, with uh, different kinds of high technological development. And um, it has a very real impact, for instance, when you look at Yemen and and the tragedy unfolding now, Mm. because basically uh, people cannot escape, not without Saudi permission. Mm. And uh, of course, the same companies selling that kind of control are also the companies selling the weapons deployed uh, in Yemen by mm. Saudi Arabia and its coalition. So it's really, I think it's important to realize that we're talking a lot about migration and border control policies, but these intersect with a range of other policies. Mm. We talk development before, we should talk arms mm. export for yeah. military intervention as well, yeah. and, and trade policies and so on. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so that would be a, a very quick run through, but there's fortunately uh, emerging more and more uh, interest, research, and reports on this, um, the uh, the arms industry's involvement in border control. So mm. that's a positive development. Mm. So yeah, that's what you call this, I guess you call it like a double gain for these companies, right? Right. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a dual win. It's not new at all. And during colonial times, you can, you can definitely also find you know, uh, dual uh, gains from companies, sometimes selling uh, to both sides of conflict. This is also happening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, a, a main worry I think we should we should be talking about in the years to come is that this kind of militarization of what is essentially or started out as migration management mm-hmm. It, it it has a way of escalating things, and it yeah. has a way of em, uh, merging displacement and flight routes with conflicts. So um, you wanted to talk about Sudan, I we didn't have time to it, but there you see uh, also EU externalization, EU funding of Sudanese uh, authorities, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of accusations that some of these funds are channeled to rapid the uh, support forces, which is an, an offshot of the old Janjaweed militia accused of genocide. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the humanitarian consequences of this are, are pervasive. And it's, it, at this point, it becomes difficult to say, why are people dying? Is it because of conflict or is it because of border control? Because yeah. the two seem, uh, seem fused. Eh? Mm. Thank you very much for taking time to talk with us. It was really great to have you in the studio. Yeah. Thank you very much You're also. Very thank you very yeah, much for thanks, coming. Guys. Thank you for your hard work and important work too. You too. <laughs> thanks yeah, very thanks. much. Yeah. All right. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. You too. Uh-oh.
perfect explanation to each of these problems and um, we we're bringing you this we we're bringing you this uh, conversation so that we get to understand also the complexity between in trying to understand these policies and what is actually being done just like you heard from him it's very very important to understand the uh, business behind the migration and the outcome that it might become in the future of how we should be aware of using military against um, migration because it might actually escalate, escalate to be a bigger issue in the future. So the songs we, be, we are bringing to you right now is being, is being played by... It's a song by Balochi, who is a Belgian rapper with a Congolese origin. And the song is uh, it's in French, but the title is translated. It's called "By Africa." So as we are just talking about now, this is a perfect song actually referring to this. Is a split, as you can see, of Africa or the Middle East, as we are seeing today. So we are actually talking against this, and this is also in music referring against this kind of policies. So enjoy the music. So, in talking about this border, cons uh, border standardization, we also came across um, Mark Ackman, who is a researcher in the field and in the field of migration and the standardization of border, who also pointed out how this un un unexpressed the mark of secretary yeah like how uh, how this this like as as martin limba talks about how this marketization of securitization and who actually profits uh, it's an area that is underexposed in both i guess journalism and research and uh, here he writes about um, the military the European military and security industry. And here he, he quotes, there is a high increase in funding in the militarization and securitization. Uh, European military and security industries are both part of shaping these policies and are being the ones who gain those policies. Armed companies and establishes themselves as experts in the field. Yeah, so during these different uh, negotiations with EU, these arm, arm companies are both part of forming the policies as and and get a role as experts and at, at the same time the one who profit from this industry. And some of these 
<clears throat> large uh, European companies are, for instance, Airbus. That's a German-based company. Uh, there's also Leo, which is also a very big company in here in Germany. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's Leonardo, that's an Italian-based uh, company that was formerly called uh, Fin Finn Mechanica or something like this. And then there's also, as uh, Martin Limber also mentioned, um, Tails, that's a French company, uh, and they are all like security military companies that also, also engage in like extensive lobbying in EU. These companies profit and sell border security equipment such as the surveillance system, biometrical and IT systems. And some of these firms are both arming countries at war, repressive regimes and human rights violations in the Middle East and Northern Africa Um, thereby fueling the reason for why people are actually forced to flee and at the same time they're winning the contracts that prevent um, refugees from entering Europe so this shows how some of the companies uh, profit from both sides profit from both sides of the so-called refugee tragedy this is also what uh, Martin Limbaugh called this dual win Well, we also see it in like the politics today, when you see both the people campaigning against the refugees themselves and at the same time campaigning um, for this more security and at the same time investing in it. So it's it's very, very difficult. And again, um, Matt, um, Mark Ackman also pointed out that the role of the European military and security industries that par- paratels these rules for industries is... Eco- It condones. It's condones. It's not a yeah. It's that this co- role is not a coincidence. A coincidence, not just the result of the industry's own effort. In fact, it is a started objective in the EU to support the global competitiveness of the European military and security industry, and the e- the EU does all it can to further intensify the close ties. So. Yeah, this is a role being doubled winning is intended. Yeah, so like this this uh, role of like creating competitive European uh, European military and security industry, it's not just a, a coincidence or the efforts of these companies, but it's actually like a stated objective of EU. Um, and more on this, you can read in uh, in the report that Mark uh, Mark Ackerman writes. That is called. Um, let's just see what it's called. Extending the fortress Europe, yeah. and we will link to it on our website. So, but bef- before well, we continue, yeah, you can uh, read and get yourself more um, uh, informed about this. Um, topic and his research but before we continue we are going to move on to our next interview which is also done by uh, yeah which is also done by Ibrahim Diallo who is uh, the director of Air Force in Adazed and before that we will be bringing you a song in order to make it uh, this program very interesting also for our listeners and not too straight And this song is by Senai Bosai, that's a Swedish uh, Gambian singer, and it's called I Owe You Nothing. I owe you nothing yeah, 
So in this sense, we are also saying that we refugees do not owe the system of border regime nothing, that we do not owe any account to them for freedom of movement, nor freedom to stay. So that was the song by the Swedish singer, and um, it's called I Owe You Nothing. But we quickly have to also move on fast to the next interview. And the next interview you are going to be hearing that is, was done by the Bridge Radio was with um, Ibrahim Diallo, as we mentioned earlier. And before we introduce him as we did earlier is we are going to talk a little bit about the country which he, he came from which is Niger. Um, so also the same uh, researcher as we talked about before Ackerman he writes in this um, report the expanding fortress Europe the situation in, in Niger one of the poorest countries worldwide show the cost of migration control for local economies crackdowns on its northern city of Agadez, have undermined the local economy and pushed migration underground, making it more dangerous for migrants and increasing the power of armed, of armed smuggling gangs. Similarly, in Mali, EU imposition of border externalization measures on the country emerging from civil war, uh, threaten, civil war threatened to reawake the conflict. So it's just to give a little big background. Um, but now you will hear the interview with... Uh so we'll be introducing one of the activists also and a journalist who has been working on the ground in um, Mali, Adazed Mali, and uh, who has also been dealing quite a lot in with... In Niger. In, in, in who has also been dealing with um, talking against this uh, sort of externalization of borders. So we had an interview with him. The next voice you're going to be hearing is his. And uh, and we were very lucky to have Ali, who's member of Lampedusa Hamburg, with us as translator and also bringing his own comments. And I just wanted to say that we first heard about this journalist um, Ibrahim Diallo through a documentary that's called Super Fortress uh, Europe, uh, where he told about his work as an activist and critical journalist. So we also referred to this during the talk. So we also advise that if you can, that you try to follow his work 
on the uh, on, on the website of Air Force um, on on the, the Air Force Info. Air Force Info. Je me présente uh, Ibrahim Manzo Diallo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Je suis journaliste uh, directeur de publication du journal Air Info, mm-hmm. qui est basé à Agadez, au nord du Niger. He said he's um, Ibrahim Jallo. He's um, director of um, radio Air, who is in Agadez. So he's the one who is uh, taking care about the program in this radio. What kind of radio is this? A newspaper. Oh, a newspaper. A newspaper. Ah, it's a newspaper. Yeah. But okay. Yeah, but I have radio. His name is Sahara FM. Sahara FM. Sahara FM. Sahara FM. Okay, but in the in the last interview we have seen from you or document documentary we have seen from you, it has been focusing on the migration and the relations between migrants and the states and the European state itself and the externalization of border beyond Europe borders. How do you see these realities in Nigel Adazet? And how do you how does that relate to your work you are doing recently? Bon, il a dit pour la dernière fois qu'il a eu une interview avec toi, vous avez soulevé la question sur la migration, la migration, les liens entre les migrants et la situation au Niger, la migration et surtout sur les frontières et aussi le, les frontières que aujourd'hui l'Europe pousse jusqu'au niveau africain, jusqu'au Niger. Qu'est-ce qui est qu'est-ce que c'est là Qu'est-ce que vous faites la question qui aujourd'hui concerne toi en tant que en tant que un, un travailleur à ce magazine ou bien à cette radio, quel est le lien que vous avez et qu'est-ce que vous avez vu en tant qu'un sujet que on peut débattre avec toi ensemble D'accord. Donc effectivement, eh, mon rôle en tant que journaliste basé à Agadez, je touche à beaucoup de choses, mais vous savez, Agadez est devenu euh, une destination pour tous les migrants qui veulent partir à Libye et continuer en Europe. Donc, okay. euh, il y a beaucoup okay. de migrants qui sont bloqués ici. Um, he said, um, what he's doing right now, that's, uh, you know, his work is uh, uh, in this magazine, but uh, Agadiz is like a big platform, mm-hmm. which is uh, like a destination where the migrants will come and then before to go to Europe. It's like uh, the big platform for the refugees to before to be in Europe, they will be there, they will come there, and then to continue their way. Mm-hmm. So, how have you seen the development in the last few years uh, with the borders between Mali and other countries in Africa, and the expansion of the EU's um, externalization of border? How has he seen the development play out in Niger in the last few years? Et il a dit comment tu as vu le développement de, de la situation des frontières entre le Niger, le, le Mali et surtout avec l'externalisation des frontières de l'Europe envers euh, et, et l'Afrique, par exemple entre le Niger, le Mali, parce que l'Europe essaie actuellement de pousser les frontières jusqu'au au niveau euh, oui. africain. Donc euh, oui. quel, qu'est-ce que vous avez vu, quel est le lien, qu'est-ce que vous avez vu dans ces deux dernières années oui, effectivement, Ali, il euh, y a un terrible euh, problème à, qui se trouve à Gadez aujourd'hui. Pourquoi Parce que l'Europe a, a déplacé ses frontières, 
ce n'est plus euh, la frontière matérielle qu'on connaissait de l'Europe, mais maintenant, c'est Agadez la nouvelle frontière de l'Europe. Pourquoi Parce que beaucoup de migrants sont bloqués ici à Agadez sur instruction de l'Union européenne. Et, et ça, ça n'a pas commencé aujourd'hui. Ça fait presque deux ans aujourd'hui que l'Union européenne a payé de l'argent aux autorités du Niger pour bloquer la migration irrégulière. Ok, ok. It's already, it's, uh, it's really horrible what's going on in Agadez because uh, this pushback of uh, on the, the the borders mm -hmm. is already the borders is in Agadez. Mm -hmm. It's already the border is really in Agadez. Because, it's no more uh, in Europe. Yeah, no. it's not. Uh, it's not only. It's not like in between uh, Libya or Niger or Italia, mm -hmm. Libya. But right now the border is in Agadez, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of migrants are blocking there and. Two years ago, that Europe paid this money to block refugees. Refugees are blocking in Agadez, so the border is really in Agadez right now. I just wanted to ask, like, how he see this? How how does he see the border in Agadez? Is it the military who's there? Is it the police who's there? Like, how is this uh, manifesting in, itself? In what form? Okay. In what form has it changed? Elle a dit, c'est quel genre de forme de frontière Si il y a les militaires là-bas, c'est la police qui bloque les frontières, c'est comment la frontière, elle est comment Visuellement, elle est comment Non, en fait, la, 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 la frontière, elle n'est pas gardée par, par les, les, les gardes-côtes européens. Non, 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 non c'est pas ça. Mais, mais eh, il faut le dire, l'Union européenne a versé beaucoup d'argent, beaucoup d'argent, 800 millions d'euros, pour contrecarrer la migration dans le cadre euh, du fonds fiduciaire. C'est-à-dire, on a doté les forces de sécurité du Niger avec des armes, avec euh, des, des véhicules, avec des motos, avec des moyens de transmission comme les appareils Touréa. Et depuis, depuis qu'ils ont eu ce matériel, alors personne n'est pas. La frontière okay. est devenue verrouée. Um, he says it's not the question of like they have um, um, European military or uh, something like this. No, it's like uh, Europe push uh, invest eight hundred thousand eight hundred million mm -hmm. of euro mm -hmm. to give equipment to the Niger military mm -hmm. with weapons, with uh, with uh, with uh, gang, with everything mm -hmm. to block uh, to block the migration. So this this money that they give is really to give to the military equipment and to block the borders. And to make uh, to to really check in the desert and look everywhere where the migrants can pass and block everywhere. So it's not like they are, they have a European military or that they are in the border blocking, mm. but they get this investment, which they get this weapon and they block everything. Mm. So with what he's saying now, because in his last um, uh, the last. Uh video we were seeing about him where we, he was trying to explain this he was showing some examples of people who have died in the deserts uh, how they have personally been involved in trying to also um, give counseling to the refugees or uh, to the migrants who are traveling how has he seen the increase of devastations on the refugees and the increase in uh, taking more dangerous routes since after this agreement with the EU states and the Niger or some African countries uh, have come into place. How has this seen the increase of danger for migrant routes? Um, il dit que les dernières vidéos que je pense que vous l'avez montré, il a vu uh, uh, mm -hmm. des migrants qui sont morts dans le désert et aussi 
comment les gens essaient d'intimider les migrants et aussi des gens qui essaient aussi de coincer des migrants pour qu'ils se découragent de partir parce qu'il est trop dangereux la route ou bien la situation de la migration en tout et pour tout. Mais qu'est-ce que vous avez vu en tant qu'évolution depuis ce, ce certain temps qu'il y avait eu ces morts, il y avait eu ces... Il y avait comment les gens ont essayé d'intimider les réfugiés, pour les migrants, pour qu'ils ne continuent pas. Est comment est l'évolution actuellement, depuis ce temps Merci Ali. L'évolution, il faut le dire, elle est toujours en train d'aller négativement, parce que de plus en plus, les routes sont bloquées. Donc les migrants et leurs passeurs prennent de nouvelles routes, et ces nouvelles routes ne sont pas du tout sécurisées. Ce sont des routes qui, qui, qui ont été créées juste pour contourner les, les barrières. Et il y a beaucoup de gens qui se gardent dans le désert, beaucoup de gens qui se perdent dans le désert, comme, comme je l'ai dit, mais qui meurent aussi. Donc c'est pourquoi mmh. je dis, et je continuerai toujours de le dire, il y a le, le nouveau cimetière des migrants, ce n'est pas la Méditerranée, mais c'est le désert. OK. Um, you say from this moment, it's... Uh really difficult, but uh, the migrants and uh, the smugglers try to get a new uh, route. Mm -hmm. So the new route which they can really take, which is very dangerous mm -hmm. to, to reach a destination. But uh, this is really dangerous because people are lost on the desert mm -hmm. and when they are taking this new route and some are dying. Yeah. So it's really, he say now it's like a new cemetery mm -hmm. in the desert for the people who are really taking this route. Uh, this decision to go because the road is not uh, really secure and uh, yeah it's really dangerous so i mean it's really a new cemetery now in the desert for the people it's not like uh, in in the sea anyway now what does he see as the implications for this uh, sort of agreements to actually increase displacement of people and from his experience in other Z, who actually profits and how does the, how does this profit uh, either the states in Niger or the migrants or the EU states who profits from this kind of um, uh, uh, this kind of uh, policies that has been put in place if he has okay. any idea qui en bénéficie vraiment de cette situation C'est le gouvernement, les migrants ou bien les passeurs qui, Ou bien l'Union européenne Qui en profite vraiment de cette situation Très bien. Et je vais expliquer en quelques mots à qui ça profite. D'abord, on a voulu arrêter la migration en bloquant toutes les routes, c'est-à-dire en prenant les passeurs et leurs véhicules et les jetant en prison. Mais ce qui se passe actuellement c'est que les migrants continuent de venir à l'île. Ils continuent mmh. de venir toujours à Gadeï. Et ils ont des gens, des, des passeurs, au lieu de, les, de, de payer 100 000 francs pour la traversée du désert jusqu'à Libye, maintenant ils payent jusqu'à 400 500 000 francs. Donc ça, ça fait les bonnes affaires des, des, des passeurs. Ah. Ok, ok. Les prix à quel mmh. okay, je, je, je vais traduire ça. la première. Euh, il faut lui expliquer ça. Ok, ouais, d'accord. Um, He said, yeah, now who benefit right now is like, uh, not to say um, they have who is benefit, but he will try to explain how it is. In the, in the time that they start to block the, the road to go uh, to, to go to Europe, the strategy was to catch these uh, smugglers, yeah. put them in prison, 
mm-hmm. and then block their cars and everything. Mm-hmm. But this is not the case of uh, that the migrants stop coming. They are coming, always they are coming, every time they are coming to Agadez. And now the new smugglers get a lot of money, like uh, he said, something like, uh, I think, 1,000 euros, mm-hmm. around 1,000 euros to, to reach from Agadez to go to, I think, Libya. So it's, it's even more money coming now for the smugglers. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the first one he said to me. He wants to explain the first thing. Yeah. So he will spend it the second. Okay. Oui, Ibrahim. La, maintenant, la deuxième, la, la, la deuxième catégorie des gens à qui profite, il faut le dire honnêtement, le gouvernement du Niger, à travers eh, la lutte contre la migration irrégulière, a eu de l'argent frais, c'est-à-dire de l'argent euh, qu'il n'espérait pas avoir, et beaucoup d'argent, et parce qu'il faut le dire, le Niger a donné un bon exemple dans sa, dans, dans sa, dans sa lutte contre la migration. Et bien, l'Union européenne a, a défalqué 800 millions d'euros dans le cadre du fonds fiduciaire. Et okay. tout cet argent, c'est de l'argent fait, mis à la disposition de l'État du Niger. Donc, okay. l'État du Niger a vu de l'argent fait il a, pour lui. Il a eu aussi des véhicules, il a eu des motos, il a eu des... des et des moyens de transmission et il faut le dire aussi il y a un cap Sahel qui forme les, 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 les forces de sécurité du Niger. Donc tout ça c'est au profit des autorités du Niger et plus particulièrement du politique nigérien. Ok. And he said that the state gets really benefit because um, the state try in the beginning to show the example that uh, they can stop this migration when the European can help them to get uh, to to get the money and they give them this 800 million of euro. Yeah. So with this, they really try to block, and they get this uh, to get weapon. They got cars. They got everything. So, and for the state, it's like really a money. This 800 million is like uh, fresh money. You yeah. just get money which you uh, you never think you will get, mm-hmm. and you get it. So the state was really the one who also benefited too much yeah. from this uh, uh, blocking migrant to, to Europe. And the general category of people, people really, it's true to say, they don't have any profit, but they don't have to do the migrants. The migrants die in the desert, the migrants are escroqués by the passers, the migrants are jetted in the camions and ramenés to them in the conditions execrables. Really, the only person in this is and he said the big lo- loser in this all in this uh, uh, thing is the migrant because the migrant get to be uh, 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 the, the, the smugglers take their money the yeah. smugglers uh, take them to to no destination the smugglers uh, betray them mm-hmm. and after that the the military can take them back to home and they would just put them in a big LKV. Yeah, which is like big trailer, my cars, and taking them back to to Agadez or to home. So the big uh, big loser or the the people who lost in this in this system is really the migrant. The migrant was really the bigger loser in this uh, negotiation of uh, European borders thing. Hmm. But if I am to ask, how has these policies also affected the people of Niger and most especially the people of Ad- Agadez? And um, how has this also, in other ways, promoted the um, dangers of being a migrant? Can he explain a bit on this? 
il, y a, hum, il a dit la question aussi qu'il qui, qui a soulevée, c'est que comment la, les gens gèrent la situation, par exemple, les gens d'Agadez, comment ils gèrent la situation de la migration, la population en tant que telle, la société civile d'Agadez, comment ils, ils, ils voient la migration, comment vraiment ils vivent cette migration qui est aujourd'hui à Agadez. Franchement, Ali, il faut le dire, à Agadez, il n'y a, a pas une population qui, qui tire des bénéfices de la migration que celle d'Agadez. L'économie d'Agadez, l'économie locale, elle, elle était basée, il faut le dire, elle, elle était basée sur le flux migratoire. Parce qu'il mmh. y, a, y a des gens qui ont des véhicules qui sont loués, qui sont euh, utilisés dans le transport. Il y a des gens mmh. qui ont des maisons où ils hébergent les migrants. Il y a des gens qui ont des restaurants où les migrants mangent. Il y a des gens qui mmh. vendent des bidons que les migrants achètent, etc., etc. Donc, il y a beaucoup, beaucoup d'argent que la population d'Agadez gagne à travers euh, la migration. Je vous donne un chiffre. Quand la, les, toutes les communes d'Agadez se sont rencontrées pour demander vraiment de revoir euh, cette lutte contre la migration parce que c'est un coût pour leur économie, ils ont dit clairement que rien que la commune d'Agadez gagne 65 milliards de francs CFA. 65 mmh. milliards de francs CFA et dans le cadre, en une année, hein, dans le cadre mmh. de la migration ici. Donc, vous voyez, et depuis, depuis, depuis l'interdiction de ce transport, de cette, de cette migration, toutes les communes sont devenues pauvres, les gens sont devenus pauvres, il ne faut rien. Et vraiment, maintenant, il y a de plus en plus de chômeurs à Agadez, et c'est ça le risque. Parce okay. qu'il y a un risque d'insécurité maintenant. Ok. Um, he said the question about the, uh, the, the population in Agadez. Yeah. In reality, the benefit about migration before, when the migration was not stopped, yeah, the benefit because uh, most of them uh, is smugglers. Yeah, some have shops; they are selling their food and everything for the migrants. Some are selling this uh, galoon, this bidon for water when the migrants want to use to desert, they will take water in. Yeah, some have hostel. Yeah, like some have also their own houses where they put the migrant before the migrant to travel. So. Like uh, people using this migration uh, uh, to be making a business to get something to, to for themselves, mm -hmm. but now when this migration stop uh, stop, it's really a chaos in Agadez because uh, most of the business is stopped and then the people become now really um, it's become danger for Agadez because people want to change a new kind of business, so it's very dangerous for for the people in Agadez. But He said uh, last, I don't know, last two months, or uh, I didn't get it well because he said um, like uh, all the Agadez uh, um, district, they come together to, mm -hmm. to speak about this migration stuff. Yeah. Because he got benefit like 65 million of France CFA that yeah. they get like every year about this migration. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, because they are making their own business, they are selling stuff, they are doing this. So when they, they calculate this, They saw it's really like a lot of money which is stopped now for them to get mm -hmm. to benefit in, in the city. So this become another kind of thing because he was saying this will be uh, another second problem in Agadez because people can maybe be criminal now now because they, they are losing their job, they are losing their business. Mm -hmm. So it will be a big insecurity stuff will come in Agadez. For common people.
So we are just taking a small break in this interview with Ibrahim Diallo, uh, and you will be listening to the song "Government Walls" by James. Radio Jasr. Radio Gaskoherka. The Breach Radio. You are listening to the Bridge Radio, and we are sending today live from FSK, and we are talking about externalization of EU borders, and who you've just been for those who were listening before, we've been listening to an interview with uh, activist and journalist Ibrahim Diallo from uh, Agadez, Niger, and we will continue with this interview just now. In a little bit to ask him if um, this sort of agreement that has been done by the European Union with countries like Mali and Niger, or more, Morocco and so on, if this were to continue, how does that affect the possibility of migration and the first, uh, the first deportation of people within their own national state, how does this increase the first detention and deportation of people in within uh, the country, such as like Mali? Um, si cela continue dans cette situation, qu'est-ce que tu en penses? Comment ça va affecter les gens, par exemple, parce qu'il euh, va avoir la déportation des gens parce que pour, pour, pour aller au Mali ou bien les autres pays, qu'est-ce que tu en penses Parce que quand ça continue dans cette situation, il va y avoir des déportations, parce que les gens ne, ne vont jamais continuer à rester là-bas. Et qu'est-ce que tu en penses de, avec cela Merci Ali. Moi, je pense que c'est très, très important de, de, de rendre un visage humain à ce qu'on fait actuellement. En fait, les Européens doivent faire prévaloir une approche des questions migratoires fondé sur le respect des droits humains. 
et non sur une approche sécuritaire. Ce qui se passe actuellement, on utilise le tout sécuritaire pour arrêter la migration, alors que ça ne peut pas marcher. Il est préférable de voir comment soigner la plaie au plus profond, comme on l'a dit. Tous ces jeunes qui viennent en Europe, c'est parce qu'ils ils sont en train de vivre un mal-être chez eux. Ils, ils, sont, ils ont envie de chercher un mieux-être ailleurs. Donc, il faut retourner à la source pour corriger cela. Alors, qu'est-ce qui va se passer Avec tous les blocages qu'il y a à Gadez, il y a de plus en plus des actes de vandalisme qui se passent. Il y a de plus en plus de voleurs, de criminels qui s'entassent à Gadez. Alors, à Gadez a commencé aussi à dire « Non, nous ne sommes pas la poubelle de l'Europe, il faut faire partir ces gens-là. » Donc, qu'est-ce qui va se passer c'est une stigmatisation de l'étranger et ce qui n'est pas bon. Vraiment, actuellement, au moment où je vous parle, les gens commencent à dire qu'ils en ont marre de tous les migrants qui sont en train d'être entassés ici juste parce que l'Europe ne veut pas d'eux. Um, in reality, he say, um, Europe, uh, the Europeans and the, the people who agree, like uh, Niger, have to look about the human rights. Mm. It's not a question of like a migrant, but the human rights. Because the question what in Europe that's discussing always is like migrant is a problem. Yeah. And the migration is not a problem because they are not looking at the human rights of the people. Yeah. So, and he said this is now the question because um, this is a big problem. Even in Agadez right now, a lot of migrants are there. And really, it's start now uh, people thinking like... Uh, They are only criminal there, you know. A lot of people are criminal. There are a lot of uh, uh, vandalism. They have a lot of things going on, which is really bad in Agadez. And this can be bad because people are thinking, okay, if Europe don't need these people, they are so they don't need them here because they are not uh, Agadez is not for Europe that they will bring all the stuff and the, all the people there migrant and leave them there in the city. Yeah. They need their city and they need, yeah, rights for all. You know, it's not they are against migrant, but. They don't want to see this pushback from Europe finishing Agadez, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about that, because that also brings me to like one of the questions which I just came uh, that we've been talking about, which we were referring to. We were talking to Martin Lundbeck today, who also mentioned that most of these um, countries that are involved in these agreements that the European Union has uh, overlooked the uh, the. How is it called? The regime's uh, brutal way of avoiding human rights or abusing human rights, and at the same time still fund them the, with both weapons and with money. Can this be assured that they don't use these weapons against their population or their main population? That's one. And does he see a problem with the uh, European Union funding um, authoritarian? governments outside of like in Africa or other places that we are talking about now? Does he see how that can affect the human rights um, levels in these places? Okay. Um, it is like the question to the Union European. For example, the Union European thinks that there are always countries that do not receive the human rights. And in reality, these countries also provide weapons pour dire de lutter contre la migration. Mm -hmm. Mais en, 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 en autre côté, est-ce qu'ils n'utilisent pas ces mêmes, eh, eh, ces, ces mêmes armes contre leur propre population Parce que aussi, d'un autre côté, il a dit que c'est l'Union européenne qui installe souvent des, 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 des gouvernements dans nos pays 
Qu'est-ce que tu en penses dans ça Ils ne vont pas, mm -hmm. ils sont en train de, de, de dire que ces pays sont des pays qui ne respectent pas les oui. droits de l'homme, mais en même temps, c'est des pays qui fournissent aussi des armes pour dire, lutter contre la migration. Exactement. Exactement, Ali. Moi, je n'ai jamais caché mon dégoût face à cette politique de l'Union européenne. Je parle de l'Union européenne politique. Je ne parle pas des, 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 des Européens. Les Européens, population, non. Moi, je parle de la politique de l'Union européenne. Vraiment, j'ai envie de vomir quand je regarde ce qui se passe autour de moi. Aujourd'hui, pour nous, depuis qu'on était tout jeunes, on, on nous a toujours dit que l'Europe, c'est le continent des droits, des, des, des droits humains. L'Europe, c'est la terre des libertés. L'Europe, c'est la terre de toutes les grandeurs humaines. Mais malheureusement, ces dernières années, nous constatons que l'Europe est devenue, devenue hypocrite vis-à-vis d'elle-même. C'est-à-dire, au moment où elle chante les droits humains, elle entretient des, 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 des régimes dictatoriaux. Je vous donne juste un exemple ici à côté de nous, au Cameroun. Au Cameroun, c'est un président qui est là depuis presque 40 ans, mais si, si, si l'Union européenne ne l'aide pas à être dans ce cadre, comment il peut rester autant de temps avec euh, une population qui grandit J'ai rencontré des Camerounais qui nous ont dit ils sont nés au Cameroun, ils ont grandi au Cameroun, ils, ont, ils sont même en train de veiller au Cameroun, mais c'est toujours une seule personne qui est au pouvoir. Et ça, mmh. cette personne, c'est avec l'Union européenne, qu est, parce que les pays européens ont, ont, ont donné une caution à cet homme qu'il reste là. Il est devenu mmh. pratiquement un, un fossile au pouvoir. À part ça, il mmh. y a d'autres pays qui ne respectent pas les, les droits des humains et c'est cette même Union européenne politique qui fournit les armes à ces pays-là. Mais vous voyez, aujourd'hui, à cause de, de la lutte contre la migration, l'Union européenne a demandé à nos États, je dis bien, a demandé à nos États de mettre d'abord la lutte migration irrégulière comme premier facteur d'aide au développement. Alors, ok. Can you wait a bit? Can you wait a bit yeah. and Ali translate? Yeah, and um, he said, if today he, he look around him, he, yeah. he will he like to like kind of to vomit what he's seeing, mm -hmm. what he's seeing, because yeah. for him he say he's not like they are not against Europe, yeah. but they are against Europe policies. Yeah, because he say Europe what they know is like a Europe of freedom, Europe mm -hmm. of human rights, mm -hmm. Europe of uh, of really supporting, but not this Europe who is. Um, giving weapons with this Europe who is the investment on dictatorial mm -hmm. stuff, this Europe, this Europe who today, the only things which Europe need to fight against is migration. Yeah. And this is why he say, if you look at the example of Cameroon, yeah. they have, he say he met some migrants which are really like even old from Cameroon. They say before they was born is the guy who is always present there, but Europeans are supporting him and give him weapons and push him to stay long mm -hmm. because they are on benefit. And this is why he says he's really angry against Europe today because the first thing in Africa which Europeans today they are uh, 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 saying they like to do or that they are supporting is fighting against migration. Mm -hmm. And this is the first topic in Africa for Europe first before to bring about development. Mm -hmm. And this is like exchange for them. I, we, you fight against migration and they will help you for development. This is how Europe invests mm -hmm. now in Africa, in, in West Africa. Yeah.
Yeah, this is what he's saying. This is like he said, Europe now today in, in, in Africa is the only thing they are doing. Fight uh, against migration and then I will give you exchange development of your, in the country. Très bien. Donc, j'ai dit, en fait, on est dans, 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 dans un schéma et c'est comme si on a un seul morceau à sa disposition et tous les problèmes, alors, ont la forme des clous. C'est ce qui arrive à l'Europe, à l'Union européenne. Il y a tellement de problèmes en Afrique mais elle voit seulement le problème de la lutte contre la migration comme le problème fondamental. Et alors, tous les problèmes qui doivent être résolus, il faut qu'ils aient la forme de, 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 cette, de, cette, de cette migration. Tant qu'elle n'a pas cette forme, l'Union européenne dit qu'elle ne peut pas aider. Alors, nous sommes dans le cadre d'un chantage à l'aide au développement. Et ça, c'est très grave, émanant d'une d'une conglomération comme celle de l'Union européenne. On est aujourd'hui obligé de donner des garanties comme quoi on va lutter contre la migration irrégulière, on va empêcher aux jeunes par tous les moyens de, de continuer en Europe et si on le fait, alors on sera bien aussi, on aura l'aide au développement de l'Union européenne. Mais moi je trouve ça, vraiment je trouve ça dégradant pour l'image de l'Union européenne. Et ensuite... Il y a aussi un autre aspect qui... Je vais expliquer ça. Je vais lui traduire ça d'abord. Ah, d'accord. Il faut... La question est, de nouveau, c'est sur comment... Les Européens aujourd'hui, ils sont tous pensés. La question de la migration est le seul sujet qu'ils aiment parler. Si un pays d'Afrique les aide à arrêter la migration, ce pays va avoir un échange de développement. Donc, tout... African countries need today, if it's not a question of migration, they cannot get any help from Europe. Mm. So this is like kind of uh, Europe play game with them. Every topic is like, first of all, migration. Mm -hmm. And then another topic will come. So any country of Europe, Africa, who need help of development, they have to introduce, they have to be in this uh, fighting against migration. So this is what even Ibrahim said, make him really angry because It's like uh, now Europe is playing game with the African country, mm. and they they get what to play game with is about migration. Yeah, you stop migration, we will help you. You don't stop it, we don't have anything to do with any country who don't need to fight against migration. Trying to look at the also the explanation or the history we know from Libya uh, mm. during the time of Mohammed Gaddafi, he was yeah. widely supported. At the time when he was in allies with the European Union, he was widely supported with both money and with both arms. And uh, later on, he was also killed after the war in um, 2011. And to today, this same state that we know that is a failed state um, is also being sponsored, even though there are rebels, even though there are some governments that are not really functioning in some aspects of the city in the country, the European Union still um, funds them in order to stop migration, even though they know that this country has just come out from war and yeah. there is a lot of abuse of human rights. The last year we saw the selling of uh, people openly in, on the street. Uh, what, does he, what does he see as the criticism of Europe in sort of supporting these double standards, both as um, what is it called uh, authoritarian regimes, and at the same time advocating for those authoritarian regimes to fall, and at the same time supporting rebels or other government, authoritarian government that also stops um, migration 
from going through countries like Libya? Ok. Ibrahim, il, il revient lui aussi sur la même question parce qu'il dit euh, au moment du régime du, 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 du guide Mohamed Kadhafi, lui aussi il a eu des soutiens de l'Union Européenne avec les armes, avec l'argent, avec tout pour oui, arrêter cette immigration. Oui, mm -hmm. mais la question en est oui. qu'aujourd'hui ce n'est plus Kadhafi, c'est le rebelle en tant que tel parce qu'il n'y a pas euh, un vrai gouvernement actuellement à Libye. Mais la question, il, il a dit, mais ce qu'il ne comprend pas, c'est l'Union européenne en tant qu'Union européenne qui encore finalise, il donne les finances aussi à ces rebelles pour pouvoir lutter contre sa, cette migration. Il dit, comment tu vois ça Parce qu'il y a une hypocrisie dans ce système. Qu'est-ce que tu vois ça Et aider, un, aider les rebelles à les financer pour qu'ils arrêtent l'immigration. Oui, merci Ali. Franchement, je fais partie des gens, hein, des gens ici à Vélez qui n'ont pas du tout compris par comment l'OTAN, j'ai dit la force de l'OTAN, qui regroupe tous les pays européens, va frapper un pays comme la Libye, va détruire un pays comme la Libye, va tuer un, un, un président, un guide comme euh, Kadhafi. Bien mm. que euh, l'Union européenne et tout, et beaucoup de pays le qualifient de dictateur, eh bien, mm. ce dictateur, ce pays qui était sous la gouvernance de Kadhafi, était un mur qui protégeait l'Europe tout entière de toutes les bases des, des, des jeunes africains. Pourquoi Parce que avec le, 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 avec le, le, le programme Frontex, l'Union européenne versait de l'argent à Kadhafi à peu près mmh. 5 milliards d'euros par an. Eh bien, okay. Kadhafi okay. utilisait okay. cet argent je vais, pour je vais, donner du euh, travail aux jeunes. D'accord okay, je vais... Ivan, um, right now, they have a lot of people in Agadez who is like uh, some white people, people like him, who mm -hmm. asking themselves, Like, until now, they didn't understand mm -hmm. why there was this intervention of NATO and killing Gaddafi, who was the big wall between uh, border between Europe and Africa, who blocking migrants who yeah. don't go to Europe. Yeah. The question come again, always, and then he said they try to understand why this thing happens, because um, Gaddafi also get money, like five million, I don't know, five million euro mm -hmm. from uh, every year, I think, from European to, to block the borders. And yeah. to offer, but in, in this moment, when he takes this money, is to offer work for the migrant in, yeah. up in, in Libya. So yeah. this is where he, he, he stopped. Yeah, and this is a question which he said a lot of people didn't understand why, why European killed this guy who is blocking migration. Yeah. Yeah. Why, Brian? Franchement, Ali, aujourd'hui, à Gadez, les gens se disent que les Européens, ils ont perdu la tête, quoi. Parce que les, les, les gouvernements européens ont perdu la tête parce qu'en détruisant Kadhafi, ils ont détruit la Libye. Et en détruisant la Libye, c'est comme s'ils ont dégagé toute une, toute une étendue de terrain pour aller vers l'Europe. Et mm -hmm. aujourd'hui, cette même Europe revient financer des milices, des gens qui ne sont reconnus que par personne, des gens qui sont euh, qui n'ont aucune euh, euh, qui n'ont aucun respect pour les droits humains qui n'ont aucun respect pour la, pour la parole donnée. Et c'est à ces gens-là que l'Union européenne, plus précisément l'Italie, donne de l'argent pour arrêter la migration. Et je vous okay. dis franchement, okay. um, um, les gens ne peuvent pas être said, arrêtés par des milices. Il dit, right now, people are really in Agadez saying they didn't understand this system of Europe. Europeans, politicians are really stupid. Mm -hmm. Because if they are not stupid, how can they kill Gaddafi? And then today, It's like they 
kill Gaddafi, they destroy Libya, they destroy the border who is uh, protecting them mm-hmm. to, to, uh, against migration. Mm-hmm. They destroy them and they give money to now a new rebel to say to protect them. This is really very stupid stuff and they cannot understand it because for them it's, it's not understandable. Mm-hmm. They cannot understand it. Yeah. And they try to understand but it's not possible for them to understand why they destroy all this, why they destroy and Italia continue to give them money. Mm-hmm. to protect the border. And the border was protecting him during Gaddafi moment. So what? this is uh, stupid, you know? Yeah. So, they... they, they... Et, aussi, et aussi, Ali, yeah. pour continuer, Ali, je, mm-hmm. je vous dis une chose. Et ici, à, à Gadez, les gens ont, ont comparent la Libye maintenant comme un pays de terroristes. Donc voilà mm-hmm. que l'Union européenne, en détruisant la Libye de Gaddafi, Ils ont donné un, tout un pays, un grand pays comme la Libye, euh, à des terroristes. Donc mmh. aujourd'hui, et l'Europe, l'Union européenne n'a que la Méditerranée entre elle et les terroristes. Franchement, okay. c'est très dangereux et c'est très grave ce qui va arriver dans les prochains temps pour l'Union européenne parce qu'elle n'a que la mer qui la sépare d'un des termes des terroristes. The terrorists. And he said, uh, right now, Libya become like, uh, really, it's not any uh, name of country. Now Libya is really terrorism countries because uh, it's like European give it to now uh, free that terrorists can use it. Mm-hmm. And really, um, terrorists are using it. And uh, he, before he was mentioned that he cannot understand um, when he talk about this rebel who don't know anything about rights, human rights, don't yeah. have any respect of people, don't know anything who are killing people, slavering people. So how, how e- Europe finance this, you know? And then now it's about the terrorism. And he said right now Libya is a very dangerous country, and he don't know what will happen in the few years coming. So, yeah. song you're listening to is by Selo Baifal Fit Khalil and it's called Ferry Not Frontex and it's by Bosa Tracks. Now we will come back to the interview with Ibrahim Diallo, the journalist and activist from Agadez, Niger. work uh, he sees in Agadez, in Agadez that is being done to counteract this uh, EU policies of externalizations. 
by activists and by the civil society. Okay. Um, Ibrahim, il dit, bon, euh, ça, peut, ça va être les deux dernières questions. Euh, la première, qu'est-ce que, qu que vous, vous voyez comme en tant que euh, la société civile d'abord et aussi les activistes Qu'est-ce qu'ils peuvent faire pour, pour contrer cette euh, frontière, cette nouvelle frontière européenne qui, qui est jusqu'à à vos portes Qu'est-ce qu qu que tu vois Qu'est-ce que les activistes ou bien la société civile peuvent faire Moi, je pense que euh, la société civile et surtout, euh, même pas la société civile seulement, même les médias ont un grand rôle à jouer. Mmh. Ali, il faut qu'il y ait une communication de crise, comme on le dit. Parce que mmh. franchement, nous sommes en crise. La situation, mmh. elle est telle que les gens commencent à, à avoir euh, des velléités et d'insubordination aux États. C'est-à-dire, les gens ne veulent plus respecter le mot d'ordre de leurs États. Il, mmh. il y a même un risque d'éclosion de nouvelles rébellions dans le nord du Niger. Les gens sont, sont, sont dans le chômage. Ils ne vivent de rien. Donc, la tension, elle est, elle est grande ici à Agadez. Ce qu'il faut faire, il faut rapidement, il faut rapidement installer un, un, un moyen de communication pour expliquer aux jeunes et les tenants et les aboutissants de tout cela. Il faut desserrer un peu cette emprise de l'Union européenne sur le politique nigérien, parce que quand on mise sur le tout sécuritaire, il y a un problème. Les gens mmh. vont dire à la fin, euh, ils en ont marre. Et ça, mmh. c'est pas bon. Ça peut créer des désordres. Et la société civile doit se réveiller et faire en sorte qu'elle soit aux côtés des migrants. Les migrants, aujourd'hui, sont devenus comme des animaux. On ne les respecte pas. Or, ces gens-là, c'est des gens qui fuient la guerre pour d'autres. C'est des gens mmh. qui fuient des problèmes pour d'autres. Il y a des gens qui fuient la pauvreté pour d'autres. Donc la société okay. doit être aux côtés des migrants et okay. aussi sensibiliser okay. les politiciens nigériens. Ok. Um, Ibrahim dit ok, the question is really um, interesting because um, mm. he says not the question of civil society or the, the activists. It's also the role of uh, of media. Yeah. Mm. Because he said the media have to play a big role in this. To explain and to show what's going on, mm -hmm. because he say right now it's uh, even dangerous because it's question of security, mm. and uh, people are really like uh, it's enough for them that even he's thinking they ha there will be a new rebellion in the north of Agadez because of this problem, and mm. what he's thinking is uh, the civil society and activists to be in solidarity with the migrant and to be mm. in the migrant side yeah. to support this migrant because this migrant. Most of them come from uh, war countries who mm. they have a problem in their country, mm -hmm. and then they really need to get uh, support from the civil society and also to try to sensibilize the society in Niger mm -hmm. against this uh, the system and uh, what's going on. Because right now the information is not uh, enough for the people to understand w who is playing what, what is going, what is doing, what yeah. who is doing what. Yeah. So he tried to explain that uh, with this media and the people. Can rise up and explain to the youngest people and the, the, the civil society people also to understand what's going on. And like person like Ibrahim who understand it right now, mm -hmm. who really understand who is playing what. You know, Europe is playing what, Africa is playing what, Niger is playing what. This kind of people is good if they are contributing in mm. this kind of media and really in the civil society to explain and to share and support the migrants. Mm. Yeah. And you wanted to say more? 
Well. Um, you know, but for me, my experience is, uh, I, I, three years ago, about four years ago, I was thinking about about uh, what will be yeah. migration in four years. Mm-hmm. But in last two years, when I was in Mali in the African uh, summit, like uh, Africa France summit, yeah. I was saying to the youngest, the guys there, that you know we are fighting in Europe, but I think the work will be in Africa. Mm-hmm. And there was some I was really laughing because they say, yeah, this will be true. And then I said to them, you know. We have to do like what European is doing. We will not copy Europe, but we try to show them that, yeah, if they go to Africa to fight against migration, we also will go there to sensibilize the, the people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the fight will be there. Here is only we are fighting for staying mm-hmm. here to get right to stay. Mm. Yeah. But there is we have to fight for the people to get this right to move. Yeah. yeah. Because if they didn't move to reach here, they cannot try to get right to fight to stay here. Because if you go now in Agadez to meet a migrant, and then you tell them, hey, rise up, fight for yourself to, to stay, to get right to stay, they will say to you, no, I don't want to get right to stay. I want to, to get right to move. Yeah. So this is the difference. And then some guys was really, yeah, this is true. And then I think the other way is like what Ibrahim said, they states. We have to really try to fight and to sensibilize the people in Africa, in West Africa, to support the migrant and to see the migrant issue as really issue which is concerning everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a question of like if you come from mig- uh, 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 what's you call it, war country or what. It's freedom of movement. Yeah. Which everybody have right. And the migration is not starting to from Europe, Africa to Europe. No. It's even from African to African. It's from mm. state to state. It's from city to city. It's mm-hmm. from village to city. So it's because of the new uh, mondialization. I don't know what it's calling. The new mo- it's like the, yeah. the world is changing. Everything becomes like village now. I can move from Europe to Africa fast if I have this possibility. To, so people get, somebody who is before move from city, to city, yeah. he get possibility to move from city to another country, yeah. and he get possibility to move the country to another continent. I mean, we cannot stop it. If nobody creates this, this is the system in all the world mm. created is the development of the world yeah. bring this. Mm. So European cannot stop 2018 to put it back as like a, a 1,000 years ago. It cannot mm. work. So no. it's only like also our state, we have to sensibilize our government. We have to sensibilize our people. We have to sensibilize the migrants yeah. to understand this. And then maybe we can get issue how to fight against this border and this all this. Because if now I'm from Niger and then I cannot move from Agadez to go to Niger border, mm-hmm. then it's me to myself, I was blocked. It's not a question of some other migrants from other countries. No. So if this is... So Niger people have, don't have right right now to take a car to Niger border. It's, it's bullshit. Yeah. If they are migrants, it's bullshit. So this is what I can just add, you know. The rest is even though know, I'm speaking too much. And, yeah. <laughs> but this was... Je vais t'expliquer en français un peu ma contribution. Ils m'ont demandé si je peux contribuer quelque chose. Oui. Ah, tu as tout compris. Ok, ok, ça c'est bien ça. Nous sommes, dans un, nous sommes dans une logique où même l'intégration africaine, parce que tous les pays africains tendent vers l'Union, quand est qu'ils ont fait l'espace Schengen Aujourd'hui, mm-hmm. avec ces politiques eh, anti-migratoires, on, on tue le désir de l'Afrique de s'unir. Et ça, c'est un crime, Ali, pour le dire. Yeah. Yeah. 
merci vraiment. Merci. C'est la première fois que j'ai entendu, entendu ça. Hein. Vraiment, moi, je suis dans la lutte, ça fait eh, des années, mais c'est la première fois que j'ai entendu eh, quelque chose comme ça. Um, um, je suis sur ça depuis. Yeah, moi. Ibrahim, Ibrahim, Ibrahim really mentioned something very important, which is, uh, yeah, because I tried to explain to him what I, I said, and he said he already understand. And he said today about this migration, yeah. what he, he really mentioned in this migration and what he learned is like uh, because of Europe, because of this explanation of borders and because of fighting against migration today, yeah. like European put in the heart of the African between them to even hate each other. Mm -hmm. And this is really, he said to me, it's really, really, really bad. And then... Uh, I recognize it because for me it's my first time to hear this kind of speech. This is true because today Niger is seeing in other way from the other countries migrants. Mm -hmm. If you tell them Niger, they will say, "Yeah, Niger people are not good because they are blocking the borders and this." Yeah. And this is true. This yeah. is what also this fighting against migration is can bringing a lot of kinds such of example of this yeah. in Africa, in which people can rise up be, uh, uh, between them yeah. and to say, "Yeah, okay." If Niger people are really treating my people like this, we will treat them also in our country in this way. So this is really bad. Yeah, I mean, this is not also a new technique. It's also about putting people in conflict between each other because while they yeah. are fighting, you can exploit them. And if we yeah. look at the history of colonization, this has, has been how it has been. While we keep on fighting each other, you are yeah. being exploited. Um, one maybe last question before we say goodbye. Um, so I just following up on this, what what work can be done to counteracting the the EU policies? Uh, we, I just wanted to hear a little bit about with this uh, magazine that the Ibrahim has himself, the Air Info. What kind of work they do on this field? And another thing is, what he would be his advice to um, European citizens and activists who are also working on this uh, field of migration. Ok. Um, Ibrahim, elle a dit que la première question est sur la même question qu'elle a demandé comment tu vois l'avenir de ce truc en, en, si avec la société civile ou bien les activistes. Qu'est-ce que um, vous vous faites dans votre magasin et dans vos journaux? Qu'est-ce que vous faites pour, pour, pour pouvoir faire avancer les choses? Et aussi, um, l'autre question est que uh, Steve a demandé. Et comme les activistes euh, européens qui travaillent là-bas ou bien qui soutiennent, et aussi, qu'est-ce qu'ils font pour que les choses changent Entre les, les activistes Oui, oui, européens, ceux qui viennent de l'Europe, ceux qui, bon, étrangers ou bien qui, oui. qui, support, qui sont là, qu'est-ce qu'ils font oui. pour que les choses changent et avancent Franchement, et moi, je, tout à l'heure, quand je m'étais présenté, j'ai oublié de vous dire que je suis journaliste, c'est vrai, mais je suis acteur de la société civile ici à Galen. Mm. Donc, euh, j'ai beaucoup de choses, j'ai fait, on fait beaucoup de combats pour que les gens comprennent euh, ce qui se passe actuellement ici à Galen et un peu, mm. un peu partout dans les pays africains. Et mm. on a des, 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 des Européens qui ont, qui, qui, sont, qui ont compris aussi le sens noble de notre lutte et qui mmh. viennent nous aider. Ils viennent jusqu'à Agadez, on fait des réunions, on, fait des, des, on élabore des stratégies de lutte pour pouvoir sensibiliser les gens, pour pouvoir sensibiliser aussi les autorités et, et les amener à respecter beaucoup plus les droits humains. Ok. Um, Ibrahim dit um, he's journaliste, mais aussi il est très activiste dans la société civile. 
And uh, what is what they are doing is really like uh, to try to sensibilize people, to make really uh, to mobilize people and sensibilize them in this issue of uh, blocking migrants and uh, the issue of uh, in general migration. Mm-hmm. And he tried they try to work with uh, some Europeans activists who are coming. Yeah. And this is they are making a meeting, they are making some events, and also to to speak. Uh, to see how they can support each other and how they will make a really sensibilization of people, to mobilize people to understand about this. And also they try with the authority also to sensibilize the authority also mm-hmm. about really this migration issue. Mm. Okay, that's... Et il faut le dire, Ali, on vient, on vient, on vient de, d'installer un bureau ici à Venise eh, qui s'appelle Alarme Fon Sahara. Alarme Fon Sahara. Oh, c'est, oui. c'est une... C'est une c'est c'est un petit projet qu'on a élaboré avec des amis allemands ici à mmh. Gadez qui, qui, qui veut euh, documenter, c'est-à-dire sensibiliser d'abord les migrants, et mmh. documenter quand il y a des, des migrants qui sont morts dans le désert et aussi les, aller les sauver et dans le désert s'ils ont des, des problèmes. Quoi. Donc Alarme okay. Sahara a ouvert son premier bureau ici à Gadez et je suis okay. le représentant de Alarme Sahara. Ok, et uh, Ibrahim est... Um the representative of uh, the new um, project which alarm phone make in Agadez now alarm phone uh, desert because before i think they have alarm phone in the sea in the uh-huh. sea in mediterranean mm-hmm. uh-huh. and uh, and now ibrahim is the representative person for the alarm phone mm-hmm. and they try to make uh, to document everything which is uh, going on in the desert when uh, like roughly a migrant dead or something like this happened to in the desert they try to document re- and they try to work uh, uh, together with some activists uh, mm-hmm. from from uh, Germany, I think, Connie and other people from here, uh, Dorothy and uh, other who from Alarm Fund. Hmm. So this is uh, right now the project they are in and they are working. Oh, that's, that's super nice. And um, I must say we've had a very, very interesting conversation with um, Ibrahim Diallo, who is a, a, an activist, a journalist, mm-hmm and also runs the uh, uh, info magazine and um, a radio called um, Sahara FM. If you want to get more information about him and what they do, we ask you to visit their website and also to promote what they do and also to support what they do. And uh, our translator who also came in today, we thank you very much, Ali, who is also um, an activist and also a freedom fighter here in Germany as part of the Lampedusa group and also other groups so we say thank you very much and if you have any few last words for us please yeah thank you very much for me is, um i would just say it's great thank also, you thank you ali thank you everybody yeah, yeah. it's what you want from today it's like what we're speaking about before i think it's not possible to join somebody from other continent which is fighting and now we bring the fight together yeah i mean germany we are the radio is in denmark ibrahim is in in niger in Agadez, you see so it's like uh yeah it's discussion of how we can develop this more to yeah. make it more practical. Yeah. This thank is really, much. really important, and uh, I thank you very much for also coming. And what we also try to do here is trying to connect the struggle and educate people about what is really going on with the refugee struggle and the way these policies actually implement uh, is implemented and how it affects people. And I hope we can do this more in connecting these co- different struggles and understanding what it is. C'est un appel de cœur, Ali. C'est un appel mm. urgent. Il faut arrêter de négocier sur des vies humaines. 
l'aide publique au développement, elle ne doit pas être conditionnée à la coopération dans les domaines migratoires et du contrôle aux frontières. Cela doit mmh. cesser. Il faut qu'on se rappelle aussi d'une chose. Notre, notre consoeur Aminata Traoré, la Malienne, elle a dit une chose très importante. Elle a dit on ne peut pas faire des migrants des déchets compris. Non, mmh. il faut qu'il s'arrête. Un migrant, qui qu'il soit, il a une dignité. Un migrant, qui qu'il soit, il a une vie, il a un passé. Il faut le respecter. Je vous remercie. Ok. Ibrahim said, um, he thank all. And then what he want to contribute is he want Europe to stop this uh, kind of negotiation of like to say we want to help you to develop, but we want to use uh, a migrant as like arm of like contribution, which we can say, okay, if you stop migrant, we can get development. Mm. Because this is not question of migration. Development is something different and migration is something different. Mm. So he don't want European to continue using this migration as like uh, the, the point which they can use to develop Africa. Mm. And he's really, he's really saying, like, we have to remember they have one woman from Mali who said it. Migrants have dignity. Migrants have everything. So they have to stop this thinking about saying to, we want to use migrants to develop Africa. This has to be stopped. All right. That was a yeah. very good advice. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, um, Thank you. And I hope you happy um, Ramadan, the last day of Ramadan. And thank you very much. Thank you. Ciao. All right. Thank Ciao. you. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 Well, that was, um, we are coming to the end of our program now. And that was our final conclusion of the interview um, on Sterilization of border, you've just heard from Martin Limbeck and also from um, Ali and uh, the person we just interviewed, Ibrahim Diallo, Ibrahim Diallo. So now we are at the end of our program and we'll be bringing you a song to end it up. And thank you for listening today. We've been your host, Steve. And Nana, and this is The Bridge Radio. And this is The Bridge Radio, and I we hope you keep tuned. And the last song that will be coming on is going to be... Um, yeah, just to say that uh, this is a series about externalization of EU borders, so we will bring in, be bringing more programs on this topic. So stay tuned and listen with us in two weeks, where we will be having the next programs with different interviews and talks about this. This is Ella's song by Sweet Honey in the Rock. The Bridge Radio. Radio Radio. 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 Radio.